Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to another episode of the Madhouse Podcast. As always, I am your host, Mad Max. In today's episode, we're going to take a journey back to Hogwarts. It is the Harry Potter 20th Anniversary uh, Edition. Uh, the, the The HBO Max special, the return to Hogwarts after 20 years, uh, dropped, uh, I think, uh, earlier this month. I, I want to say right at the beginning of the year. Uh, it dropped on HBO Max, and it basically just, you know, it chronalizes the, the making and uh, the making and settings of what, of the Harry Potter franchise in general. Uh, that's not including the, the two uh, uh, Fantastic Beast films, even though those are take place in the same universe. This is something completely different. So in this episode, I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to give my quick run-through of the entire Harry Potter franchise. I'll probably rank them at the end of it from uh, worst to best. But um, I gotta say, man, uh, I remember being like 9 or 10 years old when the first Harry Potter film had come out. Now, I remember when the books had come out. I'd only read maybe the first two because uh, those were the only ones that were at either the school's library or at the public library you know, down here, because I know at the time, there's a lot of controversy about the witchcraft, and, you know, kids and things like that, but I mean, come on, it's it's fantasy fiction, you know, <coughs> oh, excuse me, uh, but, um, it, it didn't make no sense that, you know, there was a big hoopla about the whole thing, you know, I mean, the first two books were amazing, the first two movies were just as amazing, even though, like yeah, there's a, there's always gonna be those people where like yeah, well they didn't they left out a lot of the stuff from the book, but I mean the movie's still good. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grant, Emma Watson, really, uh, really, I mean they became the characters. Like they literally described how the characters jumped off the page onto the screen. You can't tell me that that was not perfect casting to say the least. I mean. It was really something, and even in the in the in the special, when you first saw them three do the screen test together, you knew the chemistry was going to be there for all these years to come, and things like that. I think the Sorcerer's Stone is the first film, and I really think it's a great introduction into this, fan, in, uh, a great introduction into the fantastic world of witchcraft and, wiz and wizardry, and you you don't. You, you, that was kind of like what Star Wars was to like the kids in the 80s or in the, well shit the 70s because it came out in 77 I think but that was something for the you know for like the millennials if, if, if I have to use a group of kids like the 90s kids because we really didn't have anything like that like kids of the 80s had like the Goonies and and things like that you know kids in the 90s yeah there was Space Jam and then, like, in the 2000s, you know, kids, I mean, obviously kids weren't watching that, but kids my age, you know, I was, like I said, I was 9, 10 years old, just thinking to myself, man, this is really cool. It really made me kind of wish that something like that actually existed. You know, it felt like a, like an Ivy, it, like from the look and feel, the look and feel of that Hogwarts really felt like an Ivy League school. You know, Christopher Columbus, who directed uh, the first two Harry Potter films, was probably the best choice because coming off the success that he had with the first two uh home alone films i mean i mean what what could possibly go wrong um but the uh 
that first film, the introduction of, you know, the Harry Potter and, you know, the boy that lived under the stairs, the boy who lived, so to speak, and things like that. And everything about that first film really was a great stepping stone to what later became the Harry Potter franchise and things like that. But it was a really good film. Everybody was fired on all cylinders and things like that. The making of it was really cool as well. A lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff was really fun and you know it, it seemed like a working family because throughout those uh i mean hell it was like it's eight movies if i'm not mistaken yeah it's eight movies like 15 years go into that and and it really kind of shows you how close everybody is from the time they started with the the, the sorcerer's stone to the time they got to the end of uh the Deathly Hollows Part Two. You, it, it, I mean, it's emotional. It's emotional saying goodbye to all these, uh, to all these, uh, to these things, and it really, it was, a, it was a great journey. But man, that first movie, when Harry goes through the, when he jumps up to platform nine and three quarters in the movie, platform nine and three quarters. That that scene alone is us being transported to this wizarding world and man you didn't want to leave like at the end of the first movie when he says I'm not going home not really I was like man where do you go from here Like, how do you top that it was just really cool I really enjoyed the first one uh, I really enjoyed the Quidditch scene that was really good um, the scene at the end when the kids have to go through like the three separate trials to to find uh, Lord Voldemort or he who shall not be named those are all great because they all kind of played a role. Like when um, they go through the, the, the devil snare part, that was a shining moment for Hermione. When they have to find the key that, you know, all the, the keys have wings and things like that, that was a shining moment for Harry because he was a, he played Quidditch. He knew how to fly the broom. And then that last scene, that last part when they have to play the, uh, the wizard's chest, that was really cool. And that was a shining moment for Ron. And, um... It was everything about that first film was like I said, it's a great introduction to the franchise. It was a great way to kick off, arguably one of the best, uh, <clears throat> one of the best young. I don't want to say young adult because, you know, uh, it it I want it is more. It was made for kids. However, it grows up with the kids. It's like the the books grew up with the kids as they grew up. It it moved along, so to speak. Uh, the Sorcerer's Stone was great. I really enjoyed a lot of that first film. The Chamber of Secrets, the second one, was, even though it's directed by the same person, Chris Columbus, it felt a little bit darker because of the whole, like I said, the Chamber of Secrets just sounds a little bit more sinister, more, you know, a little bit dark, it has a darker, it has a darkness to it. I mean, even if you look at the covers of both of these books, um, uh, they, they look different there there there's something that the jump from sorcerer's stone or philosopher's stone for our overseas uh listeners the jump from sorcerer's stone to chamber of sequence was really cool uh it, but you can see the contrast one felt you know you know uh bright and chipper to whereas the second one felt a little bit dark and gloomy and in a lot of ways that second film was dark and gloomy it really was um and it had a little bit of those, you know, uh, like almost like a thriller type uh, feels to it. And uh, from the time they start finding those petrified people, 
uh, it was really, really almost like a murder mystery. You know, it, 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 the, the element, the tone, everything about that second film really, it's, it, it kind of had the same fluidity, if that makes sense. But the tone, the writing, everything just kind of felt different. The look, the feel, the, the tone, the backdrop, everything felt a little bit darker. Because the first film, like I said, felt like an introduction to something that we had never been seen before. To whereas the second film, almost it, in a lot of ways, does feel like a murder mystery. So the scenes where they find, you know, the cat, you know, petrified with the messages on the wall, when they find um, Hermione petrified, you know, in the in the hospital and things like that, it, it it really goes to show you that these characters are just, you know, the characters are going through something that you really don't really get from a school like this boarding school, like this private school, is you know under the under assault by some type of monstrous creature which we don't ever see until the very end of the movie and as the secret is unfolding and things like that and I'm thinking like honestly I thought when we got to the part in Chamber of Secrets with the big spiders Aragon uh, or what's that spider's name it's not Aragon because that's a different book uh, is it Aragog it's something like that because I remember it from the book um, and it was weird it was really weird. I honestly thought that was the end of the movie, even though I knew it wasn't because I read the book. But I was like, dude, this looks creepy. This the the whole idea of the 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 forest full of spiders. I remember reading that in the book, thinking, how would they put that in the movie? And then the movie came out, and I was like, that's how they did it. And it's really cool. It's really interesting to see that. And the fact that we finally get to meet a young Voldemort or, or Tom Riddle, so to speak, uh, was really cool. I think. Everything about that, like I said, everything about the second film was a huge step up. It was given a dark and gloomy backdrop with like a murder mystery, you know, sewn in there. And it was really good. It was really good. Even though when we get to part three, The Prisoner of Azkaban, that's even darker. But it still had the merits of, of like a family-friendly film to where it's not until the third one, The Prisoner of Azkaban, and I don't remember that director's name. I, to be honest, I lose track of the directors because they change every movie. Um, but The Prisoner of Azkaban, The Prisoner of Azkaban was a much darker film altogether. Like I said, it was a dark, like Chamber of Secrets was darker compared to what we got from uh, The Sorcerer's Stone, but Prisoner of Azkaban just felt darker all the way around, and because I think it's darker because it was a little bit more mature. It wasn't the kid-friendly stuff that that Chris Columbus had done in the first two films. It felt a little bit more mature. That actually felt like a young adult type thing. You know, it was something that you're dealing with something that that teenagers shouldn't really deal with, and that is, you know, Harry finds out that you know this guy Sirius Black played incredibly by the great um, uh, Gary Oldman had something to do with the death of his parents and you know when you find out his side of the story and it's a very empathetic performance the look he looks crazy he looks demented when you see him and the way the book describes him is really really out there you know a dark and twisted guy with a sympathetic background once you learn his story his side of what's been going on and his connection to Harry, you realize he's like, he's really the only family that Harry had left at the time. And, um, you know, 
that always that always was an interesting dynamic between Daniel Radcliffe and Gary Oldman. Uh, unfortunately, Richard Harris, the guy who played Professor Dumbledore in Part One and Part Two, uh, had passed away. I think right before the second movie had come out, he had to be replaced, and that's always unfortunate. But I think the guy who replaced him. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm bad with names. Just the fact that you know, I I haven't really seen anybody else. I haven't seen these people in other things. Is what I'm saying. I've seen Maggie Smith in other stuff, and then of course Alan Rickman, of course, has been in other things. Um, but I think uh, the casting, the casting of of uh, Gary Oldman really solidified the fact, and then the fact they brought in in part two, they brought in Jason Isaacs as. Um, uh, Lucius Malfoy, you know, the the villain of the film, or basically the, 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 the he's the son of, he's the father of the bully, Draco Malfoy, which, in a lot of ways, it's all, it's all cool, it's all great, you know, everybody, you have a lot of this stuff, the acting gets better with every film, the, th in the third film, in my opinion, is my personal favorite, um, because it, it felt, a little bit more mature, even like the sec, like Chamber of Secrets felt like a murder mystery to where Prisoner of Azkaban almost felt like a revenge movie because now Harry knows that even though it was Voldemort who killed his parents, but you know Voldemort is a monster with no body. The person who he thinks is responsible for it is Sirius Black, but Sirius Black is already in Azkaban prison, so you know it kind of felt like. It was going to be a revenge, you know, and then there's that great scene where he's sitting in the snow with, some, with his invisibility cloak and he says, um, I hope he comes and find me because when he does, I'm going to be ready. You know, that, that honestly just shows you that this kid was willing to go to any extreme to find out, you know, to find anything, that he's not afraid. You know, the fact that he's, what he's gone through with Voldemort in part one and part two has, has really kind of made him more so ready to take on something like this and it was really really important for that character to kind of take that step like I said this was a much more mature film than Sorcerer's Stone and Prisoner of Azkaban that's why in my opinion it is the best one and it's the it, it sets down the foundation of where we go from here it's going to get dark and gloomy it's going to have its high spots it's going to have its low points it's going to have everything in between and you know, it, it and it really goes to show you that the behind-the-scenes stuff really kind of felt different. Like, if, like Prisoner of Azkaban, Sorcerer's Stone, with Chris Columbus at the helm, felt you know a little bit bright and colorful, despite one kind of being dark and one kind of being uh, light. To whereas uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, in my opinion, just the 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 setting, the look of that film really just felt like you know a little had a gothic feel to it rather than just a dark feel to it and uh you know this was it, it, uh, like i said my personal favorite one out of all the harry potter films is the prisoner of azkaban after azkaban we go to part four the goblet of fire which a great movie a really great movie you of course you add the character of cedric diggory played by robert pattinson um and the whole Tri-Wizard Tournament. I love how it's called the Tri-Wizard, even though there's four wizards in it. And uh, so it was interesting to see that, you know, the whole idea, like when Harry fights the dragon, when they have to do the scene where they jump in the water, all the stuff, all the challenges they do in that really kind of make like a, like a, uh, 
like a trial by fire type of thing. It was almost like you have to prove yourself worthy, prove yourself to be the hero. You know, very similar to like, I would say like Thor or even the Black Panther. I mean, yes, we know you're this famous wizard and things like that, and we know you've been through a lot in the first three movies, but now it's time to prove it. Now let's really put you in the shit. And I think the performances, the action got better. That's another thing. I think this was the first one where it actually had some cool, like, fantasy action type stuff in the Goblet of Fire. Like, when he does fight the dragon, when he then when they do the, the maze thing. And then, I think the key moment in the Goblet of Fire is when, is when we finally get to see uh, Lord Voldemort in human form. Ray Fiennes, the actor who plays him really kind of comes into his own and I think to be honest I don't think I've ever seen Ray Fiennes in any other movie except for maybe uh, Made in Manhattan which was a chick flick with Jennifer Lopez and that that is one of the most uh, that is for damn sure one of the one of the best uh, villain performances you know of all time that is not you know if you want to go outside the comic book realm one of the great villains of all time has to be Lord Voldemort and in that moment when Harry and, and 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 Cedric are in that. They go into the cup, and they're in that dark place. And Voldemort, you know, is uh, brought back to life. That really was a great moment. And uh, you realize that it was gonna t- like the, this would be the only time that these two characters, the, the good guy and the bad guy, are gonna see face to face until the very end when we get to the Deathly Hollows. Now, yeah, they have a little bit of interaction throughout the entire series but this is going to be the first time that they really kind of have something to work with and then like I kind of noticed this I don't know if I said this in the um, in the uh, uh, in the Ghostbusters Afterlife if you've got if you guys have not seen that movie I'm going to spoil one of the scenes for you but in that movie there's like a laser showdown at the end and the little and uh, McKenna Grace is holding the the, the proton blaster, you know, and then all of a sudden you see the ghost of Harold Ramis, who had, who had tragically passed away, kind of grab the, uh, the, the, the proton blaster and kind of hold it steady. And I was like, that reminded me of the scene from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, when Harry and, and, and Voldemort have that little laser duel there. Harry's parents come out, and they help him kind of steady it, and they try to you know, do all that stuff, and I thought that was, that was a cool little callback, I was, like, I immediately thought of that, when I took my kids to go see Ghostbusters Afterlife, and I saw that scene, I immediately thought back to this moment in Harry Potter, uh, and the Goblet of Fire, you know, when he's holding the, the wand, and then all of a sudden his parents come out, and they're trying to steady it, and all that stuff, and it's, it's really cool, it was really cool to see that, and, um, uh, uh, the idea that, uh, like the, the the scene right after that when, when Harry and, and well Cedric does get killed in that moment but Harry takes Cedric's body back to the real world and it's a it's a very very powerful moment when Cedric's father sees his son you know dead on the floor and things like that and it was really a very sad moment very well acted and things like that and um you know, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the, that was kind of like one of the first big, like, real somber moments in the movie, because we hadn't really had moments like that from part one to part four, there weren't really those somber moments, 
and things like that but like from four all the way to seven there's going to be like a little bit of those sprinkled throughout and um and uh four like i said four got a little bit four did get a little bit more mature to whereas three was that that jump from a dark film to a much more mature film it's like a young adult goblet of fire really kind of kept that going you know it, it dealt with a little bit it dealt with death it dealt with the death of a student it dealt with the death of a young adult rather than dealing with the death of a, of a grown-up or somebody else or something like that this dealt with a student being killed you know a kid a child being killed you know during this whole tri-wizard tournament it was really interesting to see that you know, and then the, the 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 tragic moment right after that when the father, you know, that's my boy. That scene really kind of breaks me, especially me, you know, being as a parent, like as a kid, when I saw that in the movie, that 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 really crushed me. As I've watched it now, as a, as a father myself, it really, it really, really has much more impact now than it did when he saw it when I saw it the first time. Uh, the Goblet of Fire was a good movie. Uh, it really was. It was a good, it was a good way for us to continue after what, after the ride that we went on with, uh, with the Prisoner of Azkaban, and, you know, it was a great way to keep the, the momentum going, and then when we get to part five, The Order of Phoenix, that was really good too, that was a hell of a good movie, because now you, it's like, got, uh, Order of the Phoenix was like the, like the Avengers Assemble type movie, like you're putting together a team. Uh, everything about that, everything about that film, you had a, you, and I think, to be honest, to this day, I don't think there's been a more hated character, hated character, more so than Umbridge in the Order of, in the Order of the Phoenix, that, oh my god, that woman, that woman, I can't remember her name, I know I've seen her in other movies, but that character, even in the book, she just, she sounds, the book, does not do her justice like in the book i've because i've read all of the harry potter books well i think i tell a lie i'm sorry i've read all of them up to order of the phoenix when i read order of the phoenix i was like man this umbridge character is not a very nice lady at all but that pales in comparison to the performance in the movie you from the moment she steps on and that 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 prissy you know, uptight attitude that she has, the fact that she's trying to desensitize everything that it just happened in the Goblet of Fire, like, oh, that was an accident. There's no such thing as a Dark Lord Voldemort. There's no such thing as a defense against the Dark Arts. There's nothing out there that you need to defend yourself from, because there's nothing out there. Like, it's like, damn, this woman is so blind, like, where she comes from. Like, and you get where she's coming from, but... She does it in such a way that makes her just the most hated person, you know. You know, she was King Joffrey before, you know, before fucking Game of Thrones, you know what I mean? It was just crazy. Because to this day, I don't think I've ever seen a more, a hated, a more hated character in a movie. Like, I remember for a long time, every time I'd see that woman, because she, she had been, in, like I said, she'd been in other movies like uh, Maleficent and Freedom Riders and things like that, and... I, I, I just see Umbridge. I don't see the character she's trying to portray, so I automatically don't like her. So, but the Order of the Phoenix was really good in the sense that they, these kids, like, okay, we've been through death now. We've lost uh, a, a fellow classmate. Now we have to prepare ourselves that 
we have to prepare ourselves for the event that that now these dark wizards, these death eaters, uh, are are have no problem killing a student. So we have to be prepared to not only defend ourselves, but to take them out as well. You know, it was all it was all a great movie and then the introduction of certain characters like um uh, uh, Helena Bonham Carter's character. Something about that woman was always off to me. But then again, I think she always plays kind of like those off-center characters, much like Johnny, much like Johnny Depp. Something about her characters are really weird. But man, the movie ends with probably one of those heartbreaking. Like I said, it, it gets heartbreaking after uh, after. Um, Goblet of Fire, we have those somber moments, and in the Order of the Phoenix, it's the death of Sirius Black, when Sirius and Harry are dueling with the Death Eaters, like Malfoy and and the other people that are there, um, it's a great moment, like when, when, when Gary Oldman says, nice one James, you know, that's a great moment, you can see the excitement that Harry has in him, but then when uh, Bellatrix kills serious I was that that moment like they cut the, the sound drowns out and they say and you know I've heard this you know I'm pretty sure a lot of people who are fans of that series have heard that when Harry lets out that scream it was so powerful that the director said you know we're just it's going to be silent you know just the, the agony the look of agony he has on his face of him screaming losing the only family that he had left and then going after uh, Bellatrix in that in that corridor, and then there's that great there's that great laser moment with Dumbledore and and Voldemort, and uh, you know Order of the Fingers was really good. It was it was a little bit more action packed, and uh, and uh, it really kind of it like they kept it going. Like like I said, like like after after Prisoner of Azkaban, these movies got better. They became a little bit more action packed in there that fantasy type thing almost kind of like a Lord of the Rings you know medieval type stuff with dragons and magic and things like that so it was really cool to see that mystical creatures and all that kind of stuff that we saw uh, in that we read about in the book was starting to, to, to bring was bringing stuff to life um, part 6 was the Half-Blood Prince now honestly my opinion this was probably the first dip because this one didn't have a whole lot of like of the whole action sequences and, t and intense moments, uh, but it did have those moments of uh, of uh, uh, of you know unfortunate parts. Like you saw the death. I think in I think it was because the Half Blood Prince. Uh, that's the only book. That's the only one I didn't read that book. And that's the only movie I've seen that movie the le the least amount of times. Like when I try to watch the Harry Potters, in order, you know, when I get to Half Blood Prince, I kind of I kind of get a little bit delayed because of it, because it it, it it tells a great story. But in my opinion, I think the Half Blood Prince was kind of like what um, it it basically setting you up for what was about to happen in the Deathly Hallows because. Half-Blood Prince, in my opinion, probably the worst one out of all the Harry Potter films, because it's not, it, 
there's no memorable moments that kind of stand out. It, you got great performances from everybody. I think the only great, the only somber moment that they had in that movie was I think the death of Dumbledore, and um, that was that was heartbreaking to see that too. But then again, it had to be done to kind of tell that story. But man, that was the first time we saw Draco Malfoy's character kind of take that turn. Like they're grooming him to be a Death Eater, but at the same time. He's going through the same stuff that Harry's kind of going through. So to see him kind of go through that torment is really just like, wow, you know, this kid, this kid, it, you feel sorry for that guy. You know, he, yeah, he's been like the bully and the cocky, arrogant prick in like the first four movies. But by the time we get to Half-Blood Prince, you're like, man, I don't know, I don't know how he can do this. And it's, it's very very hurtful to watch but it's a great performance and uh, like I said Half Blood Prince had its moments but I guess because the previous three films had those had those moments of action and adventure to whereas when we got to Half Blood Prince it kind of it, it, it kind of became stagnant you know it, it was like a steady line it didn't dip it didn't dip too much it didn't go up too much it was just kind of you know steady it told it was like one of those old tell a story type films and uh, basically the only good thing I can say about the Half-Blood Prince is that it got us excited for what was about to happen in the Deathly Hollows. Now when we get to part 6, the Deathly Hollows, or part 7, now the Deathly Hollows is the 7th and final book. However, the book is broken up into two parts, the Deathly Hollows part 1 and 2. So the Deathly Hollows part 1 is basically the they're setting up for what is to become the final showdown between the kids of Hogwarts and the Death Eaters, which the Deathly Hallows Part One is, is really good because, like I said, you're still struggling with Malfoy. You still have all these characters. It was so cool to see Dobby come back, which I thought was really cool. But then they killed right there on the beach, which really sucked. But uh, but yeah, man, Deathly Hallows was. The first Deathly Hollows was like, damn, at, at, at any point in the movie, any character can go. The the death of one of the twins, I can't remember, I think it's George. When George dies, George Weasley, that is a heartbreaking moment. That is, because, because it's, heart, it's heartbreaking right then and there. But if you go back and watch, I think it's Deathly Hollows Part 2. There's a moment where everybody's cheering and laughing and Fred kind of looks to his right, you know, always expecting George to be there. And that was the first time that George wasn't there. And it's a quick, like one of those blink and you'll miss it moments. But man, it's so depressing when you see that. When the, when the death of a character happens and things like that, it really is. The scene with with Mrs. Weasley and, and when she kills Bellatrix, that was a great moment. That was really cool. Not my daughter, you bitch. Because when she said that, I immediately thought of, uh, I think it's Aliens, I think Alien Part 2, when Ripley comes out in the, uh, in the in the mechanical suit and the Queen Alien is messing with Newt and she says, get away from her, you bitch. That's, that's a, you know, like I said, I, I, there's moments in these movies that, you know, think of other movies and things like that, but Deathly Hollows Part 1 was a great way, you know, at the because... It reminded me of The Empire Strikes Back. Our heroes are getting their teeth kicked in. And then at the end of the movie, when we see Voldemort take the wand from Dumbledore's grave, 
and the movie ends right then and there, you realize that all hell is about to break loose in Deathly Hollows Part 2. And Deathly Hollows Part 2 was like Avengers Endgame before Avengers Endgame. Everybody kind of came together and you had that great fight at the end. You know, when uh, Neville Longbottom gets the sword and kills the, the Basilisk, that was really cool. And, and you know, everything about that, that Deathly Hollows Part 2, you know, um, it was really, really cool to see how everybody it, it, it was the culmination of where we started from in Goblet of Fire because like I said that was the first time we saw Harry and Voldemort kind of go toe to toe with one another but at that time Harry didn't really know what to do because Harry wasn't really experienced or trained that well in uh, in this whole wizarding dueling thing but when we get to Deathly Hollows Part 2 and there's that great fight at the end and one moment that I oh, that always sticks out to me when he says, "Come on, Tom, let's start this. Let's end this the way we started, together." And then they both dive off. That was that was really cool. That just goes to show you that Harry, at that point, Harry don't care whether he lives or dies. But as long as Voldemort goes down with him, fuck it. <laughs> um, but to see all of the making of all the films, the behind the scenes stuff, the the how much how much growth, how much camaraderie that the characters have with one another you really are a family and when you've been doing the same thing for almost 10 15 years and then for it to end watching that last moment in De in the deathly hollows part two when they rap and every all the characters break down like this is it you know it was it was so emotional to see that like at the time at the end of the deathly hollows it wasn't really an emotional moment when the movie ended but watching, watching it back, you know, watching the, the HBO Max special, when they show those behind the scenes moment, and you realize that this was the this was the last day of shooting, this was the last time we make a Harry Potter film, and you see all of them breaking down, and it was it was emotional watching that rather than watching the end of the movies because, you know, like, like I said, man, when you when you when you've been working with the same amount of people for so long. You develop those bonds and friendships and, you know, relationships and things like that. That when it ends, because all good things must come to an end, um, you know, it, it, it is emotional. I, I mean, I teared up watching that. You know, seeing Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grant kind of tearing up, holding on to each other. And the cast and crew, who has been there since uh, the Sorcerer's Stone, you know, you know do all that and, and really just really just kind of, you know, show their, you know, show the love and admiration they have for one another, that was emotional, um, but, yeah, I mean, if so, if I had to rank the Harry Potter films from best to worst, the best one would probably, and like I said it before, it was, it would be Prisoner of Azkaban, the best one, and then, um, Order of Phoenix, Goblet of Fire, Goblet of Fire would be three. Chamber of Secrets, Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, no, no, no. Four would be Deathly Hollows Part Two. And then Chamber of Secrets. And then uh, Sorcerer's Stone, Deathly Hollows Part One. And then um, uh, uh, Half Blood Prince would be the last one. And, uh, and they'd go in that order. It's hard to do that from worst to. Uh, from best to worst, because I think all of them are good, with the exception of the hapless prince, 
because that was probably the only one that I was I wasn't disappointed with it. It's the least enjoyment I had out of all of them. Uh, Fantastic Beasts, you know, and where to find them, Secrets of Dumbledore, or uh, the Crimes of Grimwald, whatever. You know, those all those both of those were okay, but um, uh, you know that I, you know even though they're tied to the Harry Potter series, you know, I'm looking forward to the Secrets of uh, Dumbledore and things like that, but. The Harry Potter franchise you know, was one that I kind of grew up with. You know, that was something that I, I really enjoyed as I got older. Because, like I said, I felt as if those films, ain't, like because the kids that read, you know, Sorcerer's Stone, it kind of matured as those kids matured in real life. The characters matured, which in the book, and it was really interesting to see that. I, uh, I gotta say. Uh, I gotta say, everything about that 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 HBO Max special was really good. Um, it you know seeing everybody kind of come back, with the exception of some key characters like Alan Rickman, who unfortunately passed away, uh, Richard Harris, uh, a lot of the people who are. I mean, they they actually did that. I mean, a lot of the people who were in some of the first couple of films who were no longer there, like the the person who the guy the 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 guy who played Harry's uncle. Uh, Dursley, uh, Vernon Dursley, you know, he's no longer with us, Alan Rickman, um, uh, Richard Harris, you know, it, it really kind of comes to show you that everybody was, it, all this stuff, all, everybody is a family, and, you know, when, unfortunately, uh, it, not everybody was there to relish in the moment of 20 years later, and to kind of go along for the ride and things like that, but overall, I think if I if there was one franchise that I think had a loyal fan base, had great um, great films all the way through, um, and great entertainment value and things like that, just really an all around entertaining film series. I I gotta go with Harry Potter. You know, no disrespect to the Marvel Cinematic Universe or any films that are based on comic books or things like that, but. Like, Hunger Games, I thought was pretty good. Um, uh, the, the Divergent series was eh. I didn't read those books. I thought the Aragon books were really good. I was just disappointed that they fucked up the movie. But the Harry Potter films are really good. You know, they, they, pay, they, do, a great, they do a great job taking the story from the book to the big screen. That I can say. The Hunger Games also did that. I just, you know, there was some hit and miss parts there. But... That's another. That's a. That's a story for another episode. But, anyways, guys, that's gonna go ahead and do it for today's episode. Uh, be sure to follow the podcast on all podcast outlets, whether it's Anchor, Spotify, uh, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, uh, Pandora, Google Play, Odyssey, wherever you're getting your podcast from. Be sure to follow uh, the Madhouse. 21 on all social media outlets Twitter and Instagram the Madhouse 21 let me guy let me know what you guys thought about the Harry Potter series have you seen all the movies what is your overall prefer for the book or the movies do you, do you guys watch the HBO Max special uh, you know any 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 opinions that you guys got about the Harry Potter series in general you guys go ahead and let me know uh, be on the lookout for more episodes as they come uh, the Book of Boba Fett, I think the episode, I think episode 6 had just dropped, so I'm going to go ahead and do uh, that, so I'll be doing 
the book of Boba Fett I've already done the book of uh, Boba Fett 3 and 4 so the next two episodes uh, the episodes 5 and 6 I'm waiting for 6 to drop so I can watch 5 and 6 back to back so be on the lookout for those as they come out and as always guys embrace your inner madness <laughs>